And this is View of the Valley's podcast, episode 31 with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how you been doing this past week? I'm doing really well. Uh, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to this next week. Here. We have some midweek, midweek games coming up in the Missouri Valley Conference. I was just looking ahead because it's a, a makeup weekend that they kind of uh, put in the middle of their schedule. And starting Saturday, there will be a, there should be, you know, barring any cancellations, an MVC game every day from Saturday until next week, Thursday. So, uh, you know, you definitely get your fill, kind of spread them out and uh, no more than two games a night. Uh, that, that's that's plenty. So I know what How you're going to be, so be doing in the evenings every night then. Yeah, for sure. Got a better way to spend it. But, uh, yeah, I've been doing good. Uh, yeah, it's really starting to kick back and watch a lot of basketball. A lot of conferences are really in a flow now. Um, yeah, you still have a couple schools that have been uh, on pause for quite some time. Uh, I think Villanova just came back from a lengthy layoff. They're still ranked third. I think they're they're playing Seton Hall tonight. So it'll be interesting to see how well they do after. I think they haven't played since I don't know, like December. I think late December. Wow. And I mean, you can tough on the kids. Well, and you can only you know do so much practice whenever you come back and they weren't all that healthy either. So now that you're actually right. facing a team that's been pretty good over the last so many years. And outside of them, uh, SIU Edwardsville, uh, currently, if you look at things, second place in the conference. Uh, they've only played one conference game. They're 1-0. and And it, I'm not sure what they're going to be doing up in SIU Edwardsville here going forward. They've had... I believe counting the games that are canceled going forward to this point would have been nine games postponed. Wow. So, I mean, you're you're getting to a point in the season right now that you're running out of time to make up some of these games. And not only is that going to affect, you know, possibly some, you know, seeding for other Ohio Valley teams, you're almost to a point where n- – when do you get to the point that says, okay, man, this enough's enough. We're, we're just out of options. We're just going to have to, you know, bang the season. Yeah. Well, even furthermore, you know, if they get back to playing at what point and how do you figure out, you know, especially with the, uh, the OBC that they don't bring all their teams. How do you determine where they finish in those eight, you know, uh, you know, they finish in the top eight or, you know, even if they do, how do you seed them out from there? That, there's all sorts of questions to be answered. That's a good point. I Yeah, I mean, if they haven't played as many games as another team that, you know, also on the borderline of getting in, you know, you would feel like they're more worthy of being in just because uh, they were able to stay healthy and keep everybody on the court. But also, I haven't seen lately, but I thought I had saw earlier that they were possibly going to do where uh, every team got in this year. Um, but I haven't seen that in a while. Yeah, I did see earlier this week uh, the Great Lakes Valley Conference, which is a D2 conference, uh, Southern Indiana, who played in the national title game uh, back in 2019s in that conference. And because they had to rework their schedule, they do top eight teams go to their conference tournament as well. They've come up with a point system. And roughly... Going from if you beat a team with uh, 
750 winning percentage on the road, you get X number of points. If you beat them at your place, it's X number of points. And it, it goes on down a scaled list. To, you know, you'll know, you get a point for a win for sure. But based on what their percentage is, based, you know, determines how many points you're going to get. And then that's how they're going to – like they've broken it up into three divisions – and the, the division winner will all get in the conference tournament. But then the next five spots will be determined by this point system since they can't have everybody play everybody and with cancellations and whatnot. So you'll get rewarded for your wins. And I think there are even some ways that you get points for losses as well, but just not as many, obviously. Huh. So uh, it, oh, it's, it's pretty elaborate. I, it's it's going to be math that I have no hope of doing. <laughs> but I just came across that because, you know, sometimes you get in that internet wormhole and I'll see, like, how did I get here? And it's, that was one of those moments. And now I have knowledge that we can apply here. I wonder how many conferences outside of the Division One level might possibly also go that route. You know, it's, it's not one that I've really ever seen happen for a conference basketball season. Right. But it's just, yeah, it's... It was a pretty complicated uh, system, but at the same time, it made sense. Like, how do you compare teams that haven't played each other? And you know, you have to eliminate. You know, I think it's I think they have 15 teams in that conference, so you eliminate half of them. So, I, I have it now. So at the top, you get seven points for a win with a team of a 750 or better winning percentage when you're on the road. So if you went on the road against a team with a 750 winning percentage, you get seven points. Holy if God. you beat them at home, you get six and a half, and it goes all the way down to half a point for a loss versus a sub-250 team on the road. So so the least amount of points you can get is a half a point? Well, no, you can get zero points, and that's if you lose to a sub-250 team at home. Oh, okay. So, yeah, there there is the one where you can get, but, yeah, it's, you know, the whole spectrum between there. So, yeah, because looking at it right now, uh, the last game SI Edwardsville has played was against Moorhead State, and that was back on December 18th. And SIUE won that game. And since then, I mean, SIUE's been on pause, but Moorhead State has really kicked it into gear since losing mm-hmm. losing that game. Uh, we'll get to that later on in the show. Uh, before we really dive into a lot of college basketball, did you watch any of the NFL games this past weekend? Uh, I watched uh, some. I didn't, you know, didn't watch a ton of the the Saints Bucks game. Um, I'm, I'm not a Browns fan, but I think they definitely missed the head-to-head collision. And I, and I, I Rich Eisen has done some ranting about this, but I agree with him. That, that fumbling it through the end zone is not only do you turn the ball over, but it's a touchback for the other team. Just I, I I understand the reason for the rule, but it just seems like it's a much harsher punishment. That you know, you fumble it through the end zone, the other team gets the ball. Like, well, they didn't recover it either. Sure. Uh, but I think there needs to be something different there than why do I lose a football when they didn't do anything to gain it? You know, I understand if I fumble it and the other team falls on it, obviously it's their ball, but that, that just puzzles me. And, you know, I thought Aaron Rodgers looked really good in, for the Packers. So, Yeah, in that, that game, uh, Higgins, well, they 
I guess part part of it wasn't even reviewable, which I couldn't understand why to a certain extent, but it kind of looked like there should have been a targeting call too. Because it looked like he right, went helmet to helmet. Helmet to helmet. And at times, I mean, that targeting call is reviewable. So I was surprised. Is it reviewable at the NFL level? Or are we confusing that with college football? So I, the college level, I know it's reviewable. The NFL targeting, I mean, I guess it's really not reviewable. But I just feel in a situation like that, I, especially in the playoffs, I think there should be rules that are skewed a little different compared to regular season to postseason because you're in a spot like that. I mean, that, that's a game-changing play, and I feel you need to get the call right, especially if it's an elimination game like playoffs are. And... Yeah, Higgins fumbled, but does he fumble if there's not helmet-to-helmet contact, you know? I mean, it all happens so quick, you know, uh, refs are known to miss calls and and live action like that. I mean, it simply could just slip by. But if... I don't know that I necessarily disagree that you have different rules for the playoffs than you do for the regular season, because if that was a game that could have determined who makes the playoffs and who doesn't make the playoffs, that has as huge as in, as, of implications as that playoff game, really. Yeah, you know? So that's I think true. when you start having different rules, and you know, I know hockey does it with their overtime rules and stuff like that. I just, I just get kind of weirded out when we have different rules for different parts of the season. Well, I mean, because you look at it, what was the final score, like 22-17? So, I mean, that, that fumble alone, I mean, that changed the whole game. You know, they score there. Not saying it's hard to look at and say, okay, they – if they score that touchdown, it means they win. Right. But when you look at it, that's possibly what could have been the outcome. But then again, you don't know how the momentum will change and, you know, what have you. But right. you look at the Buccaneers and Saints game, uh, a lot of people are, you know, bashing Drew Brees on social media. Yeah, he didn't have his best game, but some of them turnovers weren't exactly his fault either, though. Yeah, he could have made a better throw here and there. Uh but, you know, Jared Cook's fumble, uh, I think one of them hit Jared Cook in the shoulder, you know, threw a little bit behind him. But, uh, you know, I mean, you're in the NFL. I'd hope you, know, you can catch a ball that hits you. And I know the defense, defender made a good play getting his hands up. Maybe that blinded, you know, Cook himself from at least being able to knock the ball down. But I hope. I hope it wasn't Breeze's last game. I mean, I've I've enjoyed seeing him play in the NFL, and and if it is his last game as a Saints player, maybe he'll be able to catch on, you know, with another team on like a one-year, two-year deal. Um, but I don't know if you saw it on social media. Tom Brady and Drew Breeze, uh, I guess after they'd come back out of the locker rooms, uh, Tom Brady was basically playing catch with uh, Drew Breeze's kids on the field. I thought that was a pretty uh, pretty cool moment for both of them to. Get together yeah. after the game. Yeah, because you got to figure that, well, for Drew Priest's kid, dad's their hero, but that's Tom Brady, dad. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know they could put them side by side. Drew Brees could coach his kids while playing quarterback. They're not going to listen to him because he's dad. You know, you know I, I've gone through that. You know, having been a coach myself, I say something to my kids like, well, it's just dad now that somebody else who coaches says it. Like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Like, are you kidding me? I just said that. <laughs> but I was dad saying it. I wasn't coach. So, uh, what did you think about the 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 play call by Andy Reid at the end of that Chiefs game, where 
you know, everybody, everybody and their brother thought, hey, they're just going to try and get them off sides here and call timeout and punt that they don't get them off sides here. And then they not only do they run the play, but they have their backup quarterback throw a pass inside their own 50. It's gutsy, but Andy Reid's known to be risky like that and just go for it. I mean, he at times he just says the hell with it and and does what people are not you know not expecting. And he they did it so quick, you know, that the defense wasn't even set. And yeah. I mean, for Chad Henney to you know be ready in that spot, you know, as a as a backup who would normally think you're not going to get a whole lot of playing time <laughs> behind Mahomes. I mean, he came in and played rather well, minus that interception. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I don't know how they can say Mahomes doesn't have a concussion. All that looked, uh, yeah. You know, you got to think that that's my kid. <laughs> you know, no, you're you're gonna sit. You're done. You know, it's looked like he'd been choked out in a way. You know, there's teammates are trying to pick him up. It's like, whoa, guys, we probably just want to leave him alone here. Oh yeah. But we'll get into some of the college basketball here. Uh, We'll look back at what's happened recently in the Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley, and then we'll work our way into what's ahead for both conferences uh, this week. Uh, Looking back at the Missouri Valley, TJ, we'll go to that conference first. Uh, Was there a game that you had your eye on this past week that you were uh, maybe not expecting the outcome that happened? Um. I think I mean, it, all the team, there's a sweeps across the board. And I think they went pretty much the way I thought. I think there were bigger differentials, especially Loyola over Northern Iowa in that second game. The first game was pretty competitive. And then uh, Loyola kind of went on a 27-10 run to finish the game. I thought Fife, he outplayed uh, Cameron Crutwig in the post that game. He had 18 and 12 versus Crutwig's eight points. And, you know, even though it ended up being a 15-point game, it was a lot closer. But the next game, it was just Ramblers from wire to wire. I mean, they had four guys that finished in double figures. I think 12 Ramblers in total scored. So uh, it was, you know, uh, what one of my good friends likes to say, they got boat raced, the, <laughs> the, uh, the uh, Panthers did. And the same thing kind of happened in the Bradley-Evansville game. You know, I thought we, Evansville was on the up and up. And, you know, Bradley shoots shoots the heck out of the ball in the first game. They were sixty one percent from the floor, had built up you know ten twelve point leads like, uh, two or three times. But Evansville stayed in it, but then the next day was kind of like the second game of the UNI Loyola game. It was just all Bradley. They just took off, and uh, you know I think the Aces are missing Samari Curtis. I know he hasn't broken into the starting lineup yet, but two weeks ago felt like he was kind of having a breakthrough there. They didn't see much from him last week, and they didn't play this last week, so. Uh, maybe they're missing him more than they thought. So uh, th- that's kind of what stood out to me is how those games got out of hand, and I did, really didn't expect them to like that. So well, look, how about on the go ahead. It, it looked like uh, there were a couple teams, you know, with all these schedule changes. Uh, Valparaiso adding a non-conference game against DePaul, and then I guess Missouri State was originally supposed to have played Carbondale, and with that game canceled, they added, I can't remember who it was, it was a non-Division One school. Missouri S&T, yeah, Division Two team. Okay. Yeah, I mean, at this point, it looks like some teams are just trying to fill their, you know, gaps in the schedule with some non-conference games that uh, 
they had left to, or they had a game or two left they could add just to avoid, you know, being in a drought of no games for a while. Right, because, you know, Missouri State was supposed to play, I believe it was Drake over the weekend, and then they're supposed to play SIU Thursday of this week, and all those, all three of those games had gotten canceled. So, yeah, they were going to go quite a stretch there without playing, you know, almost two weeks, and uh, that would have been tough to bounce back from, so... But on the Ohio Valley side, uh, one of the games I, I watched quite a bit of was the Tennessee State and Jacksonville State game. That was back on Thursday the 14th. Uh, Jacksonville State came away with a slim 65-64 win. But this was a game where Tennessee State, I mean, they had it. They led most of the game. I mean, over 90% of the game. And uh, Brandon Huffman really took control uh, especially in the second half, uh, had the game winner with five seconds to go, and I can't remember how many points he, he had. Near twenty points off the check and uh, get that right. Uh, seventeen points. Huffman had seventeen points, five rebounds in that win, and Darian Adams tied his career high with twenty-one points. So those two guys alone kicked it into gear as Jacksonville State was able to hang on and win. They approved eight and four, four and two. Uh, but Tennessee State, I'll kind of tie this in with the game tonight. SEMO uh, and Tennessee State played tonight. I uh, watched that game. SEMO uh, won at Tennessee State 63 59. Uh, kind of, I wouldn't even really say it was a back and forth game. SEMO led most of the game, uh, but a close game at that. And both of those teams have been in close games all year. And the Tennessee State announcer was talking about how many games SEMO's lost in overtime and how Tennessee State has had so many games come down to basically, you know, a one-possession game. You know, they lost to IUPUI by three, uh, Chattanooga by three, uh, lost SEMO by four, lost Jacksonville State by one, Tennessee Tech by three, now SEMO again by four. So, both teams have been right in the thick of things. If they're able to close out a couple games, I mean, you're looking at one of these teams being in the middle of the conference instead of towards the bottom. Uh, but that's where some of the closing out the game comes into play against the Jacksonville State team. So well, as for what Jacksonville State's been able to do, uh, and I was I watched basically that whole game. They just kept hanging around, hanging around, and eventually they use some of that veteran leadership and uh, Huffman being a, you know, power five transfer. I mean, it really came into play in that game. And I think if I remember correctly with Huffman's basket, that's the first time that Jacksonville state led the entire game. I know it was for the second half. There were a couple times they tied, but I don't know that they took the lead until that bucket. Like you said, with, you know, not much time left in the game. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they led two minutes into the game and then all the way until the final five seconds. So, yeah, as you, as you just I mentioned. Was, yeah, just looking now, they, Jacksonville State scored the first basket of the game and then that was it. So, I mean, you know, Jacksonville State playing from behind basically the whole time at home. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that kind of speaks volumes to kind of hang in there and you know, win a game that you're expected to win, but things could have looked a lot differently if you lost that game. Right. Uh, one of the national televised games, uh, Moorhead State, this one really kind of kind of got me. 
uh, went to Eastern Illinois and Charleston, and I, I mean annihilated Eastern Illinois. Uh, yeah, it's, that was I, I was surprised when I saw that box score. I, you know, Eastern struggled to, I mean, make an open shot, and they lost eighty-seven sixty-one, and they were twenty-five percent from three-point range, and I don't know if you caught this, but uh, Max Smith on Eastern Illinois, uh, he did not hit a three-pointer. So. Ended his streak, huh? It ended his streak. At towards the end, they just kept trying to get him the ball, and <laughs> he was trying to make one and fell short. O of ten from three point range. Ooh. And you could you could see after the game he was you know distraught. You know some of the players are trying to keep, you know get him to keep his head up. But when you have a streak like that in college basketball, I mean you, you never want it to see you never want to see it end. Oh, for sure. Um. Yeah, and then you make your way into Saturday. Uh, Eastern Illinois, tough break again. Uh, played Eastern Kentucky great. They trailed by three at the half. Game ended up going to overtime, and Eastern Kentucky came away with 93-85 win. And Eastern Kentucky, uh, I don't know how much you follow the mid-major, uh, you know, top 25, but, you know, they're in the top 25 for mid-majors right now, and uh, – Coach Hamilton's got them, you know, I mean, flying in the right direction. I know I talk about it, you know, it seems like every week, but it's hard not to talk about a team when they're 12 and 2 and, you know, playing as well as they are. And Trey King's a big part of it 24 points in that game. Uh, Murray State got back on track with a win over UT Martin, uh, won by 22. And so I'm interested to see where Murray goes from that game. Yeah, it's a team that was expected to compete at the top of the conference but have struggled to get anything on offense going. And K.J. Williams has been a big part of that, but he came through in that game uh, almost coming away with a double-double, 17 points, nine boards. Yeah, I think uh, looking ahead this week, just to tie in with the Murray State thing, I, you know, that, I think their Jacksonville State game that they're supposed to have this week will be a big test to see if that's kind of them on the rebound or this is just uh, – a momentary yeah you know recovery you know yeah i mean because you know jacksonville state's not going to be a you know it's not going to be an easy out mm-hmm. but that's some of the games on both sides that have happened uh you know most recently uh, looking ahead to this week uh tj what's the missouri valley looking like uh, i guess over the over the weekend or the that whole stretch of games they got coming up well, they're midweek games, so two of them were postponed. Drake and Southern Illinois are still in, uh, you know, not, not playing games. So Drake, Northern Iowa, because what it is this week is kind of their singletons with their travel partners, so their nearest uh, neighbor, so to speak. Uh, Drake and Northern Iowa were supposed to play. They were postponed, as well as Southern Illinois and Missouri State. So now you have your regional games. Uh, talk about the war on 74, Bradley and Illinois State just being, you know, a short drive from each other. Loyola and Valparaiso, I, I imagine Loyola will uh, run over uh, Valparaiso if any indication, you know, from the last couple of weeks. Evansville, Indiana State will be interesting. Uh, how will Indiana State, you know, after taking two from Illinois State, Evansville, how will they recover after uh, kind of falling short against Bradley? Uh, and then you get in the weekend, and they, these are the, the 
MVC left open this weekend and then another weekend in February specifically for making up uh, games that got postponed or canceled because of COVID. So Valparaiso, Illinois State, you know, I think those are two teams that you're looking in the 8, 9, 10 area finishing at the conference at this point. The big one, though, I think is Loyola Bradley. You know, two teams that even before the season started, you were expecting to be towards the top of the league. And I think, you know, between the two of them, Drake and then Missouri State, those are your top four teams in the league right now. Uh, but that would be a big one, you know, That and that's, you know, fortunately for Bradley, unfortunately for Loyola, they're both at Bradley. Um, Southern Illinois and Indiana State, you know, you know, Southern's been sitting on the shelf here for a while, and they were struggling after, you know, they lost three straight games before they went uh, on COVID protocol. So, you know, they're probably going to be looking at this Evansville-Indiana State game, kind of trying to figure out where they're going to be standing there. And then we get Drake, Missouri State, so the other two, you know, top four teams in the league, um, you know, and those that'll be all the way back to Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Bradley Valparaiso are going to make up one of their games that were postponed earlier in the year. But yeah, I think the Loyola Bradley games and then the Drake Missouri State games are are the big ones to look at right now to see kind of where that seating's going to be, and. Uh, spoke to someone today and it's, they're hoping that they're going to get some guidance uh, this week about attendance possibilities at the, at Arch Madness. I was just so, going to ask you that. You know, hopefully we're, we'll hear some good news about that and could get let some people in. You know, I wonder if they won't do something because you start thinking about how many people you're going to let in. Do you start saying, well, if we leave bands at home and cheerleaders at home, does that allow us to let more fans in? And there, there are some concerns that people have about, you know, you get bands in there with your your, your brass instruments and your woodwind instruments that aren't covered. Or are they spreading germs and, you know, uh, things like that, too? So maybe that's something they look at as well. So if you have the option, are you going to keep your streak alive and, and buy tickets? Yes. I figured as much. If if you I know, if I had to guess, I would have put put my life savings on that you'd get tickets. Yeah, I'll, I'll get tickets, and you know, I think we've we've learned a lot as a society in spreading people out. And I think if they were to open up the the upper deck, you know, oh gosh, I wouldn't be crazy about it. But if it meant I got to be there and enjoy that weekend again, I, I'd definitely definitely do it. You know, so just keep my distance from people and you know how about you would you go i would do the obese yeah um if i if i have the ability with with work and stuff i would uh i would definitely go up to the ohio valley conference tournament for for the weekend um i I haven't heard what what the case is going to be like you know for that tournament um i know from you know with us being at the missouri valley tournament last year I mean, it doesn't even feel like it's been a year since since that tournament happened. I mean, I just feel like this past year, like, rarely even existed. Yeah. I mean, for not well, for not doing much of well, anything, I, it just flew by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it still feels like it's March. I mean, my gosh. <laughs> um, 
Conference. So what's coming up on the OBC slate for this coming week? Besides, you know, we talked about the Jacksonville-Murray State game for, just for a nanosecond, but what else stands out to you? Uh, this game more or less didn't really stand out, but it's national televised game, so I'll give it a mention. SEMO uh, plays at Moorhead State, uh, 6 o'clock on ESPNU Thursday. Uh, rematch of the game that just happened Saturday. SEMO uh, lost 64-50 to in that game after they were tied at 31 at the, at the half, but just struggled to get points going in the second half. Uh, Moorhead State, uh, their strength of schedule to begin the season has really looked like it's paid dividends through their first eight conference games, and uh, Coach Bradland really got them moving in the right direction. So uh, if you're an Eagles fan, you got to like the direction they're heading in, and hopefully – you know they're they're hoping to probably get a buy in the uh, Ohio Valley tournament. Um, outside of that game, uh, Eastern Kentucky's at home against UT Martin. Uh, Eastern Illinois hits the road for Belmont. Yeah, that's when I was wondering what, what yeah. you thought about that game. I mean, Belmont's fourteen and one. You know, haven't lost in conference play eight and zero. I. I'm still on the Eastern Illinois, you know, wagon here. I I feel like they are a lot better than what their five and eight, two and four record, you know, shows. You know, you basically you take away their, you know, their losses outside of conference play because they had a brutal stretch of games. You look at their conference play, and they've played Eastern Kentucky twice. Austin P. Moorhead, and then you know, not counting their wins against Murray State and uh, Tennessee Tech, but they've they've essentially played the upper portion of the conference thus far, and, and then you play Belmont. But after that game against Belmont, things really lighten up a lot for Coach Spoonhour's Panthers, and they play Tennessee State. If the game against SIUE is on, they play them at home. Then at UT Martin, at SEMO, at SIUE, Belmont again, then Tennessee State. I mean, they've got some very winnable games coming up. And if the if Eastern Illinois wants to move up in the standings and prove prove to people that their senior their senior and upper class led team uh, is capable of making noise in the tournament, I think they're gonna they have to use this stretch and just string wins together, which they're more than capable of doing. It's just going out and doing it. Uh, but a lot of that's going to start with this game at Belmont. You know, Belmont's a team that likes to get up and down the floor, push the tempo, and shoot the three. So if, if Eastern can get out, defend the three ball, I mean, they'll give themselves a chance in the game. And uh, it's just going to have a lot of say in how they're feeling after that heartbreaking loss against Eastern Kentucky in overtime. You know, you have times where some teams, they fall in overtime, and they're they're just so amped up to get ready to get back out on the court. And then you have other teams that they fall in overtime, and it's like, oh, you know, we, we almost had it. And it's just like they they lose that, that pep in the step after a loss in overtime, and then it, it's just kind of like a free fall at times. Mm-hmm. But... That's one of the games I'm looking forward to. Saturday. Uh, what what thoughts about Jacksonville State going to Austin P? That looks like that's probably the best one for Saturday's slate. 
I'm looking forward to that game for one reason. Uh, not only both both been playing you know decently well this year. Uh, I'm looking forward to what could be a Brandon Huffman and Terry Taylor matchup. Ooh, yeah, good call. I mean, Terry Taylor uh, leading the league in points and rebounds, and you got Brandon Huffman who brings that that big man experience over from North Carolina and has really stepped up his game at Jacksonville State and who's been playing above the rim, not only on offense but and on defense. So I think who's ever able to have the better matchup and have the better outcome between those two players, I'm going to go on a limb and say that's who's going to win the game. All right, let's keep uh, that one. Let's see. Let's, we'll revisit that one next week and see what the matchup was between Huffman and Taylor and see if your uh, prognostications played out correctly. Yeah, okay, we'll do that. Uh, now, I mean, there may be some different zones that you know both teams may try and play on defense, but I have a hard time believing that it's not those two going up against it most of the time. And with their size, it just kind of makes sense in my opinion. Um, I mean, then you have SIUE and Belmont. You know, not sure at this point if that game will happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, just just a lot of a lot of good games to look forward to in both conferences. Um, but as we make our way towards the end of the season, is there a certain player or a couple players that have really stood out to you in the Missouri Valley Conference? Well, I think Missouri State, Isaiah Mosley, if if I had a vote for Larry Bird Player of the Year, he'd easily have it right now. He's just been phenomenal, filling it up. And obviously it helps having a presence like Gage Prim inside. And Prim, his passing has been, you know, really impressive this year. I thought sometimes there were times that he tried to do too much on his own, but he's really trusting his teammates. And, you know, Isaiah Mosley's really just stepped up. I think you guys scored like 150 some odd points in six games in conference play or, or whatever it is that they've done now. And, uh, you know, I think he's, he's the key for them. You know, I, I think he and Prim have made a great one, two punch. Um, I, I don't see anybody better than the two of them right now. So how about on the Ohio Valley side, anyone jumping out at you? Uh, Trey King, uh, Eastern Kentucky, uh-huh. uh, Terry Taylor gets a lot of talk for, you know, him leading the way in points and rebounds, basically a double-double. But Trey King, second in points and second in rebounds. He's averaging seven over 17.5 points per game, eight boards, which is up a lot from last year. He averaged just over 11 points per game last year. Uh, and then as his first year at Eastern Kentucky, started 18 to 31 games, he averaged six points. You know that season so his point total keeps going up and he's only a junior and so most people would expect that you know he'll, he'd be back for his senior year um but with with what he's been able to do with eastern kentucky having basically such a balanced scoring attack i mean i think says a lot he's shooting over 52 percent from the floor uh, so he's one of one of the guys that stands out uh Cameron Holden, UT Martin, you know, UT Martin, you know, not up at the top. Uh, but he, he's he been somebody not to sleep on in the OVC. Doesn't matter who they're playing. 
Uh, he's scored over 20 points on uh, three of the last five OVC games for wow. UT Martin. He had 20 points against Murray, 20 against Tennessee State, and 23 against Jacksonville State, uh, mixed in with also two double-figure scoring games against Belmont. Uh, he's averaging 16.8 points per game and eight boards as well. Um, outside of them, I'm going to go off the beaten path a little bit. Uh, Sammy Friday of Eastern Illinois, uh-huh. not not one of the powerhouse names in the Ohio Valley, uh, but he's shooting over 61% from the floor. And this is a guy that's averaging over eight points per game, but he didn't get a whole lot of playing time at Siena. You know, he only started uh, six games in basically three and a half years at Siena. He was hurt one year. Uh, But eight and a half points, what he's averaging now, is up two points total from what he averaged most in a season at Siena. Uh, You know, 43 of 70 from the floor. And he, he's really, I think, enjoying his time as an Eastern Illinois Panther. He's gotten a lot more playing time. Uh, he's already had 109 points scored, if I looked at my uh, my math was correct, which I think is already near a career high. I think he had 115 points one year for Siena. So I think he's a guy that Eastern Illinois is going to have to turn to, uh, look at getting him the ball a lot more. No, he's not going to go out and drain a three-pointer. But if you're able to find him around the rim, get him to the foul line where he does need to work on his foul shooting. Uh, Watching some of the games recently, he's struggling from the foul line, and uh, his stat line would agree with that as he's just shooting 60.5% from the floor or from the foul line. Uh, He's been a guy that's kind of stood out to me in my mind as a a transfer. Mm -hmm. Um, But outside of those guys, that's about it, really. The one area I did want to ask you about before we make our way into our final thoughts segment, what is your thoughts on like fifth year fifth year seniors being allowed back for another year? You know, due to like the COVID and all that stuff. Well, we've talked about it kind of without the roster implications potentially for next year. I like it. I mean, especially when you, like we talked about SIU Edwardsville to start, like they've gotten one conference game and they haven't played in over a month, you know, and they're probably not going to play, you know, for the rest of this week. And hopefully now that we're starting to roll out the the vaccine that next year we'll have more semblance of normal. I I think that's, that's right. Um, I think coaches are going to have some tough decisions to make. You mean, you have a fifth year senior or even a fourth year senior who, Maybe they didn't get a lot of time for you. I mean, you got freshmen coming in next year. Uh, I think it's going to make, you know, for some tough decisions, you know, hey, you got your degree. Maybe it's time for you to move on, Um, you know. And I think it's really going to play some havoc in the the transfer market that you and I have talked about so extensively. Like, there's not going to be as much need for it. So if you're like, hey, I'm not happy here, I'm going to transfer. Well, I don't think there's going to be as many open spots. You know, and might the flip side might be for a new coach coming in if he wants to clean clean house, there there might be you know more available bodies for him to pick up too. You know that 
just and not because there's so many more kids transferring, but so many fewer places for them to go. That hey, I, I, I'm a new coach here. He shipped out all the guys that were here before. They found someplace else to play. Now I can fill that in. You know, it'll be it's going to be something we haven't seen before for sure. What do you think? I like it. Um, I'm just I'm one of those guys that. I like the fact that, you know, seniors will get that chance to, you know, get that last year of college basketball if they're not fortunate enough to make it to uh, the NBA or overseas. Um, mm-hmm. Also, but also one of my friends had told me, they said, well, you know, kind of like, like, where do you draw the line? So, like, if, if a fifth-year senior is allowed back for another year, um, why can't a junior get another year extended? You know, I was under the impression they could. All the way, this, all the this way. Year basically didn't count. So I had another year. So like all the way down the line. So like a that, that a, was my impression. Yeah. Well, yeah, I I really like it then, because um, when they had said that, and maybe I didn't understand their, uh, you know, what the NCA was implying with the you know extended year. Um, I was under the impression that it was just the seniors and fifth year seniors but if it's all the way down the line i love it even more because then it gives those other guys a chance to have another year because if if you were to cut it off as a senior or fifth year senior well if you're a freshman who now will be a sophomore you're expected to get more playing time well then if all those seniors and fifth year seniors are back well then it's like okay i'm not getting anywhere as a sophomore so. yeah i think one of the unintended consequences though is this may show kind of how cutthroat it can be in terms of roster spots and scholarships and stuff like that. That, you know, there may be some guys like, hey, I just don't have a spot for you because we've got Juco transfer coming in. We've got a kid coming in from over here. And there's only, you know, maybe at the big schools they can afford to to give them scholarships, but I'm sure there's limitations on that. But the smaller schools, like the mid-majors, you know, their programs are going to be told, yeah, we don't have that kind of money for you because you already have kids that are coming in as preferred walk-ons at these schools because they don't have scholarships for them. So, you know, it's it's going to be a juggling act for sure. But moving our way into our final thoughts segment here, uh, do you have any final thoughts here, TJ, before we uh, wrap up this episode? I, I not so much a thought, but I had a question for you. You got uh, okay, shoot. to go to the Super Bowl now that we have our conference championships, which I think is one of the better days in the pro football season is the you know the NFC and AFC championships. So I didn't know if you had thoughts. Obviously, there's some question about will Mahomes get to play, and that's a, that's a big if. But NFC, we're, we definitely have a good picture of what we're going to see. Um, whether Mahomes is healthy or not, uh, I'm Bill's Mafia. Okay. Uh, really like what Buffalo's been doing the last couple years. Uh, Josh Allen's a great story. Uh, only one college scholarship offer, and which was Wyoming. And mm-hmm. to see what he's been able to do after college and basically prove a bunch of people wrong at the NFL level. I mean, not only can he can he throw it, but he's not a bad runner either. He gets a lot of rushing yeah. touchdowns and. He's he doesn't look like he'd be the most uh, most quick or fastest guy, if you will, on the team. But mm-hmm. he's able to put some 
moves on out there that I think surprised a lot of people on his feet. Yeah. Uh, Bill's defense. Uh, my friends know this about me, but I'm, you probably don't, and nobody else would. But every year I pick the same defense in fantasy football. I pick the Bills defense every year. And I will dr- I will go out of my way and draft a defense before most. Not too early, but I'll draft him maybe a couple rounds before people really draft a defense because I just like the Bills defense. You know, every year they seem to get a lot of points, get a lot of sacks, uh, interceptions, and uh, Bills defense has always been my go-to. So I'm on the Bills for the AFC. NFC, great matchup at quarterback. Uh, Tampa Bay and uh, Green Bay. I think you look at where the Super Bowl is supposed to take place. I think it just kind of would align that Tampa Bay will probably get there. Um, You know, Tom Brady's proved a lot. I think coming into this season... Uh, most people are going to look at two things. One, how will Brady do outside of the Belichick uh, coach team up in New England? And how would Belichick do without Brady? Brady did very well in Tampa Bay with another good head coach in Bruce Arians. Uh, The team up in New England struggled mightily. I mean, well, to be to be fair, they had what was it? Their whole D line opt out though, too. Yeah, I mean that, that's that's hard to replace at any level, you know. Much less you know when you were going to had some questions on offense. So I, I'm not I'm never going to be a Patriots apologist, but uh, I think that, that that has to be taken into account too. Like people are easily saying, I saw it today, like oh Brady's winning the 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 divorce, and <laughs> it's just. You know, I think that had a big factor. But I'm sorry, I digress. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, but I mean, yeah, you can you can give them some slack on defense. But I mean, their offense wasn't nothing to write home about. I mean, I think whether you give yeah. whether you give the Patriots some slack because of you know guys holding out, uh, what have you. Regardless, I think uh, the Brady fans won the debate over that compared to Belichick up in uh, New England. Yeah, but if your defense isn't stopping anybody, it makes you pretty one-dimensional on offense, doesn't it? I mean, if, if you're coaching a baseball game and you're down seven all the time because you don't have any pitching, you know, you're not butting guys around and, you know, sacrificing and stuff like that. You got guys swinging for the fences more often. I think it just changes just one, you know, one set of circumstances can radically change everything, but yeah, uh, maybe. I mean the the concept is there. I get that, but in you know recent years as well. I mean, New England hasn't had you know the most potent rushing offense though either. You know, no, they're known no, that's part of the reason Brady left is because he wasn't. They kept asking him to take a pay cut, and then didn't give him any weapons. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, so yeah, that definitely comes into play too. So. Yeah, so I got Bills, Buccaneers. Who do you have? Uh, gosh, I think the Buccaneers look pretty good, you know, uh, despite Drew Brees' mistakes. Um, 
I just don't know if the Bills can stop the Chiefs with or without Mahomes. You know, they have so many different ways that they can hurt you. Obviously, you know, they if uh, they can get their running back back in the game, that would definitely help offset losing Mahomes. But I think Mahomes is going to play. I just think the way they're kind of, no, no, we don't think it's a, a concussion. I think they're they're planning on playing them. And uh, I just think they're so explosive. So I'll probably go Bucks chiefs Okay. Well, it looks like we both got the NFC, uh, both same there. But so. we'll find out. Uh, to wrap up my final thought segment here, uh, going to touch on Belmont for just a second. Yeah, Belmont atop the OVC, uh, but I'm I am surprised, or I shouldn't even say I'm surprised. They seem to do this every year, but the fact that they lost Adam Kunkel, who transferred to Xavier, scored over 16 points per game for them last year. That's a big part of the offense to lose. And the fact that they are have only lost one time to this point, which was basically just a bump in the road against Samford, who I honestly would not have expected that that team to be their loss, but it is. You got to give a lot of a lot of credit to uh, Casey Alexander and you know and all the players on Belmont to help step in and make up you know 16 points from Kunkel as a sophomore, which only would have gone up as a junior there at, you know, Belmont, I, it only makes Belmont more, more dangerous and more deeper, not only this year, but in, you know, the years to come, you know, down in Nashville for Belmont. Um, other than that, that'll basically wrap it up. Uh, one, one team to note, uh, outside of the two conferences, uh, Alabama in the SEC has just been steamrolling opponents, TJ. Uh, yeah, the reason it's, it's surprising for sure. I mean, what Nate Oates is doing down there, uh, he has trans trans translated his same offense at Buffalo, transitioned it all the way down to Alabama, and it doesn't even look like he's missed a beat from the MAC to the SEC. I mean, they're beating LSU at LSU seventy to forty-one right now. With 17 minutes to go in the game, 73 points now, and they're going to blow past 100. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. I, that That's a team to watch uh, watch out for, not only once the NCAA tournament gets here, but could be a Final Four team at this point. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely looking like it. And again, it's just all you can say is, you know, 2021, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah, very true. But with that, that'll wrap up episode 31 here on View of the Valleys. For TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week for episode 32. Be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at View Valleys Pod. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, and SoundCloud. Hope everybody enjoys the rest of their week. Have a good one, everybody.